0: Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so am I, sen- I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they have forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. Eight days days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve,
1: Thanks, Peter. Well, if you'd like to keep that passage open in front of you, we'll look at that together. And as we do that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our Lord God, we thank you for the the light of our resurrection hope. And we pray that as we come to your word now, that that light would cut through the, the darkness in our minds and in our hearts, that your spirit would be at work uh, in this time that we have together, that we would be refreshed and renewed, that you would minister to us in, in every way that we need, that your will would be done as we look at this passage now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder, how do you cope with uncertainty It's something that we've all had to get used to over the past couple of years, isn't it? COVID demonstrated to us that there is so much in life that we don't have any control over. And just as things seem to be returning to to some kind of normality, we are now dealing with the uncertainty of the effects of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uncertainty, doubt, it can lead to real fear and anxiety. There is, of course, one thing in life that is certain, but it's not a certainty that generally fills people with a great deal of peace and comfort. It's the certainty of death. Death is a reality that every single one of us will one day have to face, but with that certainty, comes the greatest uncertainty of them all. What is it that lies beyond death? Maybe you're someone who tries to to push that future prospect as far out of your mind as possible. Maybe the uncertainty of death is a terrifying prospect, something that is to be avoided at all costs. Many people, they carry a vague, uncertain hope that it's all going to be all right in the end. That If there is a God, well, then hopefully he's going to accept them because they're good people. But a hope with no basis is really no hope at all. It's more just wishful thinking. And that's why it's easier for many of us not to think about what awaits after we die. But here we are, gathered together this morning to celebrate to celebrate the fact that for the Christian, there is no uncertainty that we need to fear beyond death. We can face death with a sure and certain hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 31 of chapter 20, John explains why he wrote his gospel. He tells us that these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John wrote these things down so that anyone who believes could have life. And the life that he is talking about is the life that gives us certainty in the face of death. It's the eternal life that has been secured by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But what is it specifically that we learn about in these verses that means that we don't need to face death with uncertainty? Well, I want to highlight uh, Jesus' interaction with two figures in this passage that help us answer that question. First of all, we see how the resurrection brings a certainty that transforms our grief. Now, this passage begins with a woman who was crushed by the reality of death. We read about her in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Mary had been there as her Lord hung dying on the cross. She'd watched as the soldier pierced his side to make sure that he was dead. And in her grief, she came to the tomb that morning in the hope that somehow she could attend to Jesus' body. Now, of course, there would have been no way that Mary could have moved that huge stone had been rolled across the front of the tomb, But, but grief doesn't always make sense. When she discovers that the tomb is empty, John tells us that she ran to tell two of the disciples that Jesus' body had been taken away. She had no thought that Jesus had risen from the dead, and that's why she was full of grief. We read verse 11 that Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Uh, And even after encountering two angels who asked her why she was weeping, verse 13, she still assumed that Jesus' body had been taken. In the midst of her grief, even angels couldn't comfort her. It wasn't until she came face to face with the risen Jesus that she finally believed. John writes, verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? So even at this point, Mary still didn't recognize Jesus. John tells us uh, that she she thought he was the gardener. She had no expectation that Jesus would rise from the dead. And it's not until verse 16, uh, when Jesus calls her by name, that she finally realizes who he is. And it's that encounter with the risen Jesus that transforms her grief To joy. She was able to testify to the disciples, verse 18, I have seen the Lord. And it's the same resurrection hope that that Mary received that that transforms our grief. For anyone who's put their trust in Jesus, they can know that death is not the end. That just as Jesus has risen, all who are in him will rise with him. That the separation caused by death, although it is painful, although we may deeply miss loved ones who are no longer with us, that separation is not forever. One day we will be reunited with all those who've put their hope in the risen Jesus. And that is a great reason to celebrate today. But how can we be sure? How can we know that our resurrection hope isn't just wishful thinking? Well, it's because the resurrection brings certainty in the face of doubt. And that brings us to the second counter I want us to highlight in this passage, the most famous doubter of all time, Thomas. Now, the idea that someone could be raised from the dead is one that may well leave you skeptical. Maybe you doubt that something like this could happen. And if that's you, then you'd be in exactly the same place as those who first encountered the claims of the resurrection. They had a hard time believing it as well. It wasn't like Jesus' disciples were hanging around the tomb waiting for him to to spring out. Resurrection wasn't something that they would be quick to believe. And yet within a matter of months of the reports of the empty tomb, belief in the risen Jesus had swept Through Jerusalem. The church had been born. What was it that made so many people believe in the risen Jesus? Well, it was a decision to let the evidence challenge their worldview. And Thomas was someone who was only going to believe if he had absolute proof. We read verse 24. Now, Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. So, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So unless he saw and touched the risen Jesus himself, Thomas wasn't having any of it. You see, when it comes to the resurrection, there are two types of doubt, closed-minded doubt or open-minded doubt. Closed-minded doubt is the kind of doubt that says, you know, something like this could never happen, and there is nothing that you can tell me, nothing that you can show me that will make me change my mind. That's closed-minded doubt. But open-minded doubt says, well, this seems highly unlikely. It might even seem totally crazy, but I'm willing to suspend my disbelief and engage with the possibility that this might be able to be true that there might be answers to my doubts. Now, on the surface of it, Thomas seemed to be more in the closed-minded camp. His doubt dial was turned right up to 10. And yet, even though he was full of skepticism, an encounter with the risen Jesus completely transformed his life. We read verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hands and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. When Thomas saw the risen Jesus face to face as a living, breathing, physical person, he was in no doubt as to Jesus' true identity. In verse 28, he responds to Jesus' call to believe by worshiping Him and declaring, my Lord and my God. It's one of the clearest declarations of Jesus' divinity in all of the Gospels. And it's a declaration that comes from a guy who had been full of skepticism and it's a declaration that Jesus does nothing to deny. He accepts it. Jesus had risen. He was the risen King. He had conquered death. He was the one who gives new life, the one who was God on earth. When he encountered the risen Jesus, Thomas' doubt was replaced with certainty. Years later, like many of the other disciples, church history tells us that Thomas suffered martyrdom for his faith in the risen Jesus. He went to his death because he was so full of certainty in the resurrection. He'd seen the risen Jesus with his own eyes. But also, uh, Jesus goes on to speak of the kind of faith that's blessed, verse 28. It's the faith of those who believe without seeing. Remember, that's why John wrote, his account, so that we may believe the truth about Jesus from the things that he had written. John's account is full of references to specific places and people, eyewitnesses who saw the risen Jesus for themselves. Uh, And that allowed people to go back, and, and the first readers of these gospels were able to go and track down those first eyewitnesses and check the facts for themselves. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, then Thomas would still have been a doubter. He would have told anyone who asked that that this was all nonsense. And John's account would never have made it out of the first century with any credibility. But, of course, that's not what happened, because what John reports in his gospel is not fantasy, it's history. And that means that we can believe that Jesus really did rise from the dead. So the resurrection gives us hope in the midst of grief and certainty in the face of doubt. And it means, finally, that we don't need to face death with a fear of the unknown. In this passage, we have some clues about what life beyond death, resurrection life, will actually be like. As Mary and the disciples encounter the risen Jesus in this passage, they come face to face with the promise of God's new creation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, Paul describes Jesus as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, the risen Jesus is the first of many others who would be raised from the dead. Jesus' followers in in John chapter 20 have the the privilege of coming face to face with their future hope. They get to see what resurrection life looks like. It's a life that tells us that, that death is not the end. Three times in this passage, Jesus greets his disciples saying, peace be with you. And he says those words as the one who has just left the empty tomb behind. Jesus went to His death to bear the punishment for sin, to die so that we don't have to fear death because we now have peace with God if we put our faith in Jesus. And through His resurrection, He announced His victory over death. He brought resurrection life for anyone who trusts in Him. The resurrection declares that, that this life is not all there is we have a sure and certain hope, a a glorious promise of something more, an eternity of joy and blessing with our risen King in His new creation. That's what Jesus promises. In John's account in chapter 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Isn't that an incredible promise? An amazing thought. The resurrection means that we don't need to fear death. There is hope. There is life beyond the grave for anyone who trusts in the risen Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian, I wonder what you think about, what you picture when you consider life after death, when you think about what this resurrection life will actually be like. Now, sometimes even as Christians, we can have a very uncertain picture of our future hope. Now, some people have this picture of floating around on clouds as spirits. But look what John tells us about Jesus' resurrection body in this passage. In verse 17, we learn how, how Mary Magdalene clung to him. In verse 27, he invited Thomas to touch the nail marks on his hands and the mark on his side. Jesus was no floating spirit. He was no ghost. He had a physical body. He could be touched. He could be held. The picture the Bible gives us of God's eternal kingdom, it's a physical one, a renewed heavens and earth, a real place that we can see and taste and touch. We are not destined to float around as spirits. We have the promise of an eternity with a resurrection body, a body that won't be subject to decay or disease, a mind that won't deteriorate over the years of existence. The reality for us right now is that we live in a world that has been broken by sin, a world where our bodies and our minds have to suffer the effects of illness and old age, where disease causes so much sorrow and frustration and suffering. But the promise of the resurrection is that one day, all that will be in the past. One day, our bodies will be like Christ's resurrection body, free from decay, free from disease, free from struggles with mental health. But not only our bodies, the resurrection of Jesus points to the fact that God's whole creation will be renewed, never again, to suffer the effects of sin. It's an amazing thought to live in a renewed world. I wonder what that will be like. I suppose it means that if I don't make it on my round the world trip in the next 30 or 40 years or whatever God's given me, I've got an eternity to go and check it all out. It's an incredible thought. It's a glorious promise to take hold of right now in the midst of global pandemics and wars. One day, this world will be renewed, and there will be no more war, no more disease, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more pain. It'll be a world that we can enjoy forever. And as His people, as His church, that is the wonderful news that we have to share with our world. When Jesus encounters his disciples, he says to them, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. There isn't Jesus. He didn't expect his followers to keep this news to him, to themselves. He sent them out empowered by the Holy Spirit to share that good news with the world, that this certain hope of new life was available to anyone who trusts in him. And certainly these early believers, they didn't stay silent. They responded to the risen Lord's command. And a message entrusted just a handful of people transformed the known world within a few centuries. I always think it's incredible to think that when Jesus ascended, we're told that there were 120 followers that made up the entire church. 120. And yet within a few centuries, the whole world had been transformed, and the same reality of the risen Jesus is still transforming lives today. How can we be sure that the resurrection really happened? Well, we only need to look around this room. Here we are, seated here today, 2,000 years after that event. Lives transformed, real change that has happened in people's lives as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We only need to see the way that God's Spirit is changing us and shaping us to be more and more like Him. We, only, we can look at what we once were, and we can see today what we now are. And we can testify to the truth that the risen Jesus is alive today. In His death, He bore our guilt and our shame. He brought forgiveness. He brought peace between us and God. And through his resurrection, he gave us this certain hope of new life, a certain hope that he's given us to share with the people of Leith and Edinburgh and beyond, that Jesus is alive. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Lord God, we Praise and thank you for the glorious, sure and certain hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We thank you that we don't need to face death with fear or uncertainty, but we can take hold of the sure and certain hope that we have in Christ. We pray, Lord God, for those around us who don't share that hope who desperately need that hope. Lord, we pray that as a church, you would empower us by your Spirit to to share the good news of the risen Jesus with the people of Leith, that many might know the security, the comfort, and the certainty that comes from knowing Him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, something we do regularly here is take time to remember Jesus' death as we take bread and wine together. The bread represents Jesus' body and the wine, the blood that he shed. And as we come to this table today, it's a visible reminder to us of the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we might have peace with God. As we celebrate the hope that we have in the resurrection, as we remember his death, it's a visible reminder to us of all that Christ has done. At that meal, Jesus took bread And he broke it and he said to his disciples, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, and remember me. He also took wine and he said to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink and remember me. Jesus called all who loved and followed him to share in this meal and so Here at Greece Church Leith, we invite all those who love and follow Jesus and have been baptized to come and take the bread and wine. If you're not a Christian, we're delighted that you're here and i invite you to use this time to reflect on this passage to see that there is hope in Jesus Christ today for you if you would receive him, that you can have that certainty beyond death that is only available in him. So can I encourage you to receive Jesus as those around you receive the bread and wine. The way we do this here, we're just going to stand and sing two songs, and any time during those two songs, please feel free to step out to either one of the tables at the back and take the bread and wine. Well, why don't we stand together
2: <coughs> as we sing uh, Man of Sorrows, and then finishing off, Uh, with our last song, which is His Mercy Is More. shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood sealed my pardon with his blood hallelujah Hallelujah! What a Savior! Lifted up was He to die. It is finished was His crime. Now in Him exalted high, Hallelujah! what a savior when he comes our glory Remember no wrongs we have done Omniscient, all-knowing He counts not their sum Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore Our sins, they are many His mercy is more Praise the Lord He is more stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly what father so tender is calling us home he welcomes the weakest the vilest the poor our sins they are many his mercy is more praise the lord Darkness knew every morn. Our sins they are many. His mercy is more. What riches of kindness He lavished on us! His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never mercy is more Stronger than darkness, new every morn Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more
1: And so may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and abide with us now and forever. Amen.